We're going to be looking at the whole of Acts chapter 8, not just, well, most of Acts chapter 8, not just the, the part that Andy read to us. So if you have a Bible and you have one open, it might be helpful because I'll be referring to some things that weren't part of the reading. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, by your Spirit, 2,000 years ago, you inspired Luke to write these words down. And we ask now that the same Spirit who made these words be written would speak through them to our lives so that we are changed and we are made more like Jesus. Amen. They say that the longest journey starts with a single step. And as Andy mentioned, the Christian gospel has been on a long journey. A small group of scared followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. 2,000 years later, there's us lot here. They were all speaking Aramaic and a bit of Greek. We're speaking English. Ish. And there are believers right across the world. The gospel has made a huge journey. And in Acts chapter 8, we see the first step on that journey. In Acts chapter 8, for the first time, the Christian message steps out of the Jewish world into the wider world. And from that first step, it stepped all the way here. I realize that one or two of you might be thinking, the gospel went out of the Jewish world in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Without wishing to get too picky and without wishing to start a fight, on the day of Pentecost, all of the people who were listening were Jews who were in Jerusalem for the feast. They were from around the world, but they were still all Jewish. Here in Acts 8, for the first time, Gentiles, people like you and me, for the most part, heard the gospel. So, let's start. I'm going to start reading. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the passage three times. I hope that's okay. If it isn't, tough. The first time, I'm just going to go through very briefly and outline what the story is. The second time, I'm going to go through and pull out some themes and then I'll go through and say what is the relevance for us. This is a broad brush. I'm not going to be dissecting any verse in great detail. But I'm going to go through three times. So first of all, what's happening? Just what's going on here? Starting to read at Acts 8 and in the middle of verse 1 where the paragraph starts in the NIV. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city. This is immediately after Stephen has been killed. Persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. And many of the believers, apart from the apostles, have to flee. And Philip, who is the character we're going to be looking at, he flees to a city in Samaria. And when he gets there, he starts to tell people about Jesus. He starts to heal the sick. He starts to cast out demons. And people accept his message. And the city is filled with great joy. Samaria was not a Jewish city. It was not a Jewish region. He is now outside of the Jewish world for the first time and people are, accept, are accepting the message. Fantastic. Except, are non-Jews non allowed to receive the message? It's never happened before. And so because of that, we read further down, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For the first time, the gospel's gone out beyond the Jewish world. And the apostles decide they'd better send Peter and John just to check out what is going on. Doctrine police. Sent them down. They go there. They see God is at work. And they pray. And the Holy Spirit descends on the people. Philip goes to Samaria, goes to the city, witnesses, and God is at work, and that's confirmed by the apostles. And then, at the height of his success in this ministry, as we heard in our reading, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go out on the desert road, which is not what you do when you're successfully preaching, but go down to the desert road, which he does, and while he's there, he meets this Ethiopian official in his chariot reading a scroll. This is a, an important guy. He probably had a big retinue with him. There'd be lots of people, soldiers and guards and things. And he's Ethiopian, he, a black African. He was obviously interested in Judaism. He'd heard about the God of Israel and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And probably while he was there, he bought a scroll. There were effectively souvenir shops selling Bible scrolls to tourists who came to visit. And you can imagine, he's in his chariot on the way home, and he's bought this thing, and he's desperate to read it. Now, you know, a chariot isn't like a car or a train today. It's bouncing, it's shaking. But he's so desperate to read a scroll, he opens it up, and it's rocking along, and he's reading, and then this man comes running alongside and says, do you understand it? Well, not really, I need somebody to explain it to me. And Philip climbs up in the chariot, and there, from the, book of, from the prophecy of Isaiah, he leads this Ethiopian official in an evangelistic Bible study. 
pointing him to Jesus, and within a short time, this man has accepted the message, asked to be baptized. Philip baptizes him, the man gets back in his chariot, goes on his way rejoicing, and Philip is taken up by the Holy Spirit and reappears in Azotus. Just in passing, this Ethiopian became a Christian 15 to 20 years before Paul came to Europe. Don't ever believe the lie that Christianity is a white man's religion. There were African Christians before it came here. And there are more of them now than there are European Christians too. Christianity has long and deep roots in the rest of the world. It is not a European faith. Anyway, that's the story. What I'd like to do now is to pick out four themes. Four themes about Philip. First, Philip took opportunities for the gospel. Second, Philip was flexible. Third, Philip's character was important. And then finally, Philip wasn't the person you'd expect. So Philip took opportunities for the gospel. He'd left Jerusalem because he was scared for his life. He'd seen his friend Stephen killed, and Saul, who became Paul, was wandering, out, wandering around, breathing out threats, threatening to kill Christians. So Philip got out of there. He was so scared, he went to Samaria. Now, we know that Samaritans and Jews weren't friends. Samaritan Jews were very similar culturally. They had a shared common heritage, but there's nothing like a shared common heritage to make enmity. Hibs and Hearts, Rangers and Celtic, same city, you've got to be rivals. Similar sort of thing going on here. But Philip was so scared, he went into rival enemy territory. Now, you would not have blamed Philip if he'd gone into Samaria, kept his head down, kept quiet, not made a fuss, and waited for things to blow over so he could go home to Jerusalem. That's what most sensible people would do. You're fleeing for your life, don't make a fuss, keep your head down. So what did Philip do? Verse 5, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. He gathered crowds and he preached to them. And he cast out demons and he healed people and generally made such a big fuss that the noise went back to Jerusalem. Philip didn't keep his head down. He didn't just try and preserve his life. He had the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and he told people about Jesus. And then the angel says, go to the road down south. And he gets on the road and there's this official you know, big impressive chariot and soldiers around him. You know, what's going on? I've just left Samaria. I could be back there. But he has the opportunity to guide this guy in a Bible study. He gets up and he does so. Philip had opportunities to share the gospel and he shared the gospel. 
Philip was also flexible. In Samaria, in this city, he gathered crowds together. He performed miracles. He cast out demons. He preached. And the city was full of joy. With this Ethiopian, who was presumably an intellectual, somebody who was sort of well-regarded, he didn't preach or he didn't say to the eunuch, is there anything I can, you know, is there any miracle I can work on your behalf? He sat down and carefully guided him through a study from Isaiah and pointed him to Jesus. Two very different approaches in two very different contexts. But the result was the same. In Samaria, the city was filled with joy. And the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Joy was the outcome in both cases. Interestingly, today in mission, more and more people who are supporting mission work demand measurable outcomes, measurable outputs. We see it in translation. Some funders will say, you have to translate so many verses in a given time or your funding goes. The outcome of Philip's missionary work was joy. I've got no idea how you measure joy or how you get it in a spreadsheet. But Philip did different methods in different places with the same output. Now, it's important. The message of Jesus doesn't change. We have historical facts of his life, his death, and his resurrection. That doesn't change, that should never change. But the way we talk about Jesus, the way we share about Jesus, should change. In different contexts, we might want to share our own personal story. With other people, it might be more, in, more appropriate to give a sort of philosophical underpinning for the Christian message and why it's relevant. Different situations call for flexibility, for the unchanging method, message. Philip was quite a guy. He had these opportunities to share the gospel, and he took them. He preached, he shared the gospel, he used different methods. He's really impressive. But if we stopped there, we would be selling him short. We first come across Philip in Acts chapter 6, when there is a dispute within the church about distribution of food. Read with me from Acts 6, starting in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So there's a dispute about distribution of food. They're looking for some people to serve at the tables. What are the qualifications? They need to be well organized. They need to be able to do this thing where you've got lots of plates on your arm. Or they need to be able to cook. Read on. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That was the requirement to be a waiter in the early church. I have read adverts for mission executives and church pastors that weren't as demanding as that, full of the spirit and wisdom. And we know that Philip was one of these people who was chosen. Philip was one of those seven. Philip was dynamic. He shared the gospel. But above everything else, he was full of the spirit and wisdom. And that's what allowed him to speak out for Jesus. That's what allowed him to be flexible when the occasion demanded. And then Philip wasn't the person you would expect. As I said, this is a monumental step in the history of the gospel. It could be argued that this is the most important step. Because until the Christianity broke out of its Jewish bubble and started to go to other nations, it was always going to be restrained. If the gospel hadn't come out to the Ethiopian, to the Sumerians, it might have died when Jerusalem fell in AD 70. But instead, we have a worldwide movement. This is massive. Now, the book of Acts is the second volume of Luke's story of the church. The first volume is Luke's gospel, and we have Jesus at work, and he introduces us in depth to Jesus' followers, not Peter and John and James and all of the others. And they are the main ones in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And yet, all of a sudden, when the gospel makes this massive step outside of the Jewish world to Samaria and to the Ethiopian, it isn't one of the, the apostles who does it. It's Philip. Philip, who comes out of nowhere in Acts chapter 6, gets mentioned in Acts chapter 8, and then vanishes and reappears in two verses in Acts chapter 21. Philip, a nobody. He was full of spirit and wisdom, but he wasn't one of the key people in the church, and yet he is the one who makes that big step. He is the one who takes the gospel out into the world. The mission world is full of big-name heroes. You can't do my job and not be forever bumping up against Hudson Taylor, or just last weekend, Patrick. Missionaries who are famous. But the truth is, the gospel has spread around the world because of the witness of thousands and thousands of people that you have never heard of. Most mission work, even the work carried out by mission partners from Charlotte Chapel, most of the effective work they do is by extension from other believers whose names you might never hear of. Missionaries aren't always the people you would expect. I'll have more to say about that this evening, by the way. So, with those thoughts in, in mind, I'd like to just, again, replay a little and think about some of the implications. First of all, for Charlotte Chapel as a body, and then about each of us as individuals. 
So what does Philip have to say to Charlotte Chapel? Well, there are some obvious lessons. If you are looking to send people overseas as missionaries, you need people who are willing to share the gospel, who take their opportunities. Sometimes people will think, well, I'm not a great evangelist at home, but when I go abroad, it'll be fine. Uh, No. There is nothing about getting on an airplane that will make you a missionary. If you ain't sharing the gospel at home with people who speak your language and in your culture, you're not going to do it overseas. So we need to be looking for people who share the gospel. Need to be looking for people who are flexible. But much more so, we need to be looking for people of character. People who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And if Charlotte is to continue its wonderful ministry of sending people out into the world, the most important thing that the church can be doing is discipling people, helping people to grow in their knowledge of the Savior, helping people to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, helping people to be buried in their Bibles, learning of Christ, helping people to love Jesus so much that they can't help sharing about him. The most important steps we can take in mission are to invest in people and helping them to be good disciples. Because the truth is, if you have people who are full of the spirit and wisdom, you have a ready-made workforce to send out into the streets of Edinburgh and into the world. If you have a congregation full of people who aren't full of the spirit and wisdom, you can send as many of them out as you like, and it won't matter. It won't make a difference. We need a generation of people who are full of the spirit and wisdom, who love Jesus so much they can't help sharing about him. Christ-like character is far more important than zeal. As someone who spent 20 years in mission leadership, I have spent far too much of my time dealing with people who were zealous, who wanted to do stuff, but who didn't have the character that was required in order to be involved. Invest in your people and help them to be disciples. The second thing for the church is you need people who often, is is that missionaries don't always look the same. Missionaries in your midst may not be the ones you expect. As a good, if I dare say it, a good middle-class city center church, have an idea of what a good Christian looks like. Philip was somebody out on the margins, on the edges. He wasn't one of the apostles. And perhaps the people that the church should be sending out as missionaries aren't the obvious ones, aren't the ones who tick all of the good boxes, but who are different. I love what the apostles did here. Philip was doing something unusual, so they went out, they saw what he was doing, and they blessed him to continue, and they prayed with him. They didn't see their job as to squash this nobody who was suddenly preaching to non-Jews. They saw it as their job to encourage and help him. One of the saddest things 
that ever happened to me as a Christian was early on when I was a young believer with my hair far too long, um, my jeans all torn and patched, and my desire to listen to Led Zeppelin being perhaps more than your average Christian would like. But I'd come to know Jesus, and I really wanted to share him. To be honest, I'm not a natural evangelist. I struggle witnessing to Jesus. It's why I became a Bible translator and not an evangelist. I could sit in an office on my own. But when I first became a Christian, I really wanted to share Jesus. And so I got on my bike and I cycled. I remember distinctly doing it, cycling to the other side of Sunderland, to the SU bookshop, and I bought a book called How to Give Away Your Faith. Because I wanted to know how to share what had happened with me with the rest of my friends. A few days later, the pastor came to our house to visit my mum, who was ill. Me mum. Why did I say mum? I've come posh. To visit me mum, who was ill. And full of excitement, I showed him, look at this, I bought this book, because I want to know how to witness to my friends. And he just turned to me and said, you need to learn your faith before you can give it away. Okay, I would fully agree that we need to understand our faith. But to take a young Christian, I, I've got over it now, I'm not, I'm not bitter. <laughs> but to take a young Christian with the zeal that I had at that point in my life and squash it out of me was dreadful. And it could be as a church. The people who should be your missionaries may not tick all the boxes that you would normally tick. And it's our job to look and to see where God is at work, to see the people who are full of the spirit and wisdom and who are reaching out and to encourage them, even if they don't quite fit the Charlotte mold. And then just lastly and briefly, what do we do? How is this relevant to us? Okay, obviously, we should take the opportunities to share Jesus. We should be flexible. That's straightforward. But the most important thing to say is if you want to be involved in world mission, whether that is mission to the people in your office or the people you meet at the school gate or you want to go to Timbuktu, which is a very nice place, by the way, the most important thing is that you are full of spirit, the spirit and wisdom. That you are soaked in Jesus. That your relationship with him is deep and meaningful. That is the most important step you can make. Everything else is just about geography. Discipleship and being close to Jesus is the most important thing. If you are thinking that somewhere down the line the Lord is calling you into some sort of ministry, again, if it's just while you're at work or if it's a call to world mission, talk it through with some friends. Pray with them. Study the scriptures together. Get involved as deeply as you can in the life of the church. Be willing to be corrected. 
Be willing to have people point out where your life isn't on track. And then be willing to seek forgiveness and to restore it. The most important thing you can do for world mission is to be close to Jesus. Philip was amazing. He was chosen to be a waiter because he was full of this spirit and wisdom. And the spirit is not given in small measure. And the Lord said, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Everything that was available to Philip is available to us and is available to Charlotte as a whole. The Lord bless you. Missionaries...